0: Grab a roadie and your barber jacket, cause we're headed out of the swells. We know each other well enough by now, but please remember that adults who use adult language told me these terrifying tales. These ghost stories aren't for kids. Before anything else, I'd like to say thank you. With your Ghosts and the Burbs merch orders on Teespring, you all raised $344 for Direct Relief. I am floored by your generosity and donating the money to Direct Relief to get healthcare workers the PPEs they need made for a very happy 41st birthday. So thank you all so very much. Well, like many of you, we just got word that school is canceled through the end of the year. And though it was expected, and I believe it's in all of our best interest to keep staying the fuck home, it didn't feel like any less of a kick in the nuts. Now, more than ever, I need some distraction. Especially at night, when the house is quiet, and the kids are asleep, and the four elder care dogs are finally settled down for the night, and Chris is watching a mafia-slash-war-drug-dealing-kill-everyone show where the main character's life is a mess and their spouse always dies. That's when the demons come calling. The, your patience at homeschooling is unsustainable, demon. The, remember Starbucks, demon. The, they're gonna close the pools this summer, and that means sprinkler time, and that means dirt and grass clippings beyond your imagination, demon. And on and on. So, if I'm not rewatching past episodes of The Dead Files at night to drown out those pesky demonic voices, I listen to podcasts, and I'm running out of shows. If you have a moment, email me at ghostintheburbs at gmail.com with your favorite spooky, weird, whatever shows, or send a message at ghostintheburbs.com. I'll make a page on the website for everyone's suggestions so we all have somewhere to turn when the you should have gone for a run today. You're looking more puffy than usual. Demon, comes a call in. And speaking of distraction, this week we're headed out of the swells, but we aren't headed far. Here's out of the swells number eight. I'm not saying it was aliens, but. Alan slumped in his seat, his hands dropping from the table to his lap. You think this is all bullshit, don't you? What? No, not at all. I. I thought you were into all this stuff ghosts and cryptids and all that. I am, really. It's just. With his pointer finger, Alan pushed his glasses up the bridge of his nose. So you believe in hauntings and Bigfoot, but aliens are a step too far? No, stop. Give me a second to explain, I insisted, annoyed at the way he kept interrupting. I do believe in all of it. It's just that in the case of aliens, honestly, I don't want to believe. Ghosts are just dead people. And as for cryptids, I can just stay out of the forest. But aliens, I shivered, they're like a step above, like zombies. Alan scooched his chair in. You believe in zombies? No, not like brain-eating zombies, but like people who aren't themselves anymore and act like monsters. We were in a far back corner of Cafe Nero. It was late August, and I'd just finished the book I'd been working on, when I'd run into Frankie. Good old, aliens are doing reconnaissance and singling out the strongest of us to figure out what makes us tick so they can take us down. Frankie. Text in brackets, see ghost story number 12. Is that an alien in your pocket, or are you just having a psychotic break? And brackets. I was walking into Roche Brothers as she walked out. Liz Sauer, she yelled, causing me to jump. In my ear, I heard Claire groan, here we go. Frankie dismissed the man who'd been helping her bring her groceries to the car. Hey, thanks, but I'll take it from here. I need to talk to her, she said shortly. Then to me, I was just thinking about you. Turned out a lot had changed in Frankie's life. After our conversation, she'd found herself reconsidering the way she'd handled her lifelong interactions with the aliens. She realized that going it on her own might not be the best way to deal with the situation, so she did some poking around and found a support group for our abductees. She discovered a group of people who, like her, had been taken. She didn't find anyone with a story exactly like hers, but the experience of talking with these people who not only believed her, but had gone through the same terror, shame, and confusion felt like home. Even in the brief interaction I had with Frankie, I could see that she'd softened. Whereas when I'd met her almost exactly three years prior, she'd been the picture of summer preppiness. She now appeared softer. She wore a flowy, white eyelet sundress, and her hair was in a loose bun on top of her head. And, no joke, she had on Birkenstocks. Frankie filled me in on her newfound appreciation for the star people who'd been stalking her for years. As she moved her sunglasses to the top of her head, I noticed she wasn't wearing her rock of a wedding ring. "'Liz,' she insisted, "'I'm embarrassed to say that I got it all wrong.' It is so much more than I thought it was. I was journaling a few weeks ago, and I decided to read through my interview on your little blog. She smiled. I was so lost back then, so in my own head about it all. Joining the support group opened my mind. I don't see it as a burden any longer. It's a spiritual experience. They chose me. I take it as more of a compliment that they want to learn more about me, about what makes me tick. About a week after we saw each other, I received a text from Frankie. A man in her support group wanted to talk to me, to tell me about an experience that he'd had. The only thing was that his alien encounter had happened in Dover. Did I talk to people outside of Wellesley? I did. It's not a fucking compliment, Alan declared, a moment after we'd sat down over coffee. I had to agree. Who in their right mind would want to be taken by aliens? Look, it takes a lot to scare me, to really, really spook me. I'm not bragging like some 12-year-old in a Halloween haunted house. It's just that part of the reason I started these interviews is that I like the feeling of being creeped out. And after a lifetime of chasing the scare, you know, the usual old spooky stuff starts to get a little stale. I don't care for gore or slasher porn, and movies chock full of jump scares give me a low-grade headache. I love the idea of them, but squinting at the screen waiting for the jump is just too much. There are two movies that frighten me to the core. Well, three, but The Exorcist goes without saying. Anyhow, Blair Witch Project brought me to my knees. Chris and I went opening night back when we were dating, and he used to let me drag him along to scary movies. I 110% believed it was real. I'm not much of a crier, and that movie made me cry. But the second movie on my fear list is The Fourth Kind, the movie with Mila Jovovich about abductions in Nome, Alaska. Start to finish, that movie made me feel deeply, deeply unsafe. And again, I fell for it hook, line, and sinker. And it frightened me. While demons and ghosts and freaky wood witches rattle me, I can handle that level of fear. Aliens, on the other hand, might make me come unhinged. So yeah, I don't really go for alien stories. I don't like reading about or listening to people recount their abduction experiences because it makes me feel extremely vulnerable. On the very best television show of all time, The Dead Files, Amy Allen always has some sort of solution for the haunted family whose home she's investigating. If it's a demon, exercise it. If it's a ghost, get a medium to move it on. An elemental or a shadow person? Move. But on the rare occasion that she goes into a home and discovers the problem isn't of this world, she has no solution. None. If the people move, the aliens will find them. Psychics and sage and priests and Reiki masters have absolutely zero pull over aliens. Her recommendation? Find a support group for abductees, like the one Frankie and Alan attend. Look, Frankie's entitled to believing whatever delusion gets her through the night, Alan continued. As far as I can determine, once the aliens choose you, that awareness is terminal. There's no getting out of their sights. Even those people who simply experience a craft sighting It stays with them, haunts them, changes their lives. They're often left with the deeply unsettling realization of utter defenselessness. Alan crossed his legs. He sat at an angle to the table, his long legs unable to fit beneath it. Sorry, I'm off on a tangent. My point is that Frankie may think that the star people have chosen her for some sort of spiritual journey, but the only thing I've ever sensed after an encounter is detached malevolence. Shivers. I held on tight to the warm mug in front of me. When did you start having these experiences? When you were little? No, no, thank God. It was only recently that I had my first encounter. Since then I've struggled to accept this new reality, but every day that I don't have an experience, or rather that I don't remember one, well, I count that as a win so when did it start? Alan looked at me with his huge eyes, and I felt as if he were taking my measure. He must have thought I could handle his story, because he offered me a sad smile before beginning. I'm a professor at Olin College. Beside me, I heard Claire say, smarty pants. Ignoring her, I asked, what do you teach? Mechanical engineering. He replied with a small shrug as if it weren't as impressive sounding as it was wow okay well then i'll go ahead and ask you in advance to dumb things down for me a little bit aren't you a librarian i was but we're just good at helping people find things i mean i only speak for myself most of the librarians i've met are brilliant and well-read and enjoy obscure hobbies but I reread the same Fear Street books I read as a kid every year, and I obsessively watch reality ghost hunting television. Alan chuckled. Well, then I'll try not to use too many big words. Thank you, I said, returning his smile. Did you see the aliens on campus? No, no, no. I teach at the college, but I have a side gig, too. I'm a house sitter. Oh, like for when people go out of town or on vacation? More like when people hop back and forth to their second and third homes in Aspen and Palm Beach in the winter. Oh wow, so you stay for a good amount of time. Yes. People like to know someone is keeping an eye on things, making sure there's no burst pipes or broken windows, letting in the elements. So I dust and vacuum, take in the mail, and forward on anything important. I take care of the place like it's my own home. Where's your place? I have a little condo in Boston, in the north end. When I'm house-sitting, I head in on the weekends to check on it and see friends. The houses I watch are out here in the burbs. I was listening, but my mind was also sidetracked by some of the details I'd gathered about him. Small condo in the city, no wedding band, no mention of a significant other. He seemed intelligent, self-sufficient, smart, and kind. I knew of a couple single friends who would be very interested in meeting such a person. Alan watched me, a question in his eyes. I realized he must have said something while I was calculating the best person to set him up with. Sorry, I just drifted away for a minute. If you don't mind me asking... He held up his hand to stop me. I'm not looking to date anyone right now. Immediately embarrassed, I apologized... Sorry, that was really inappropriate. I shouldn't have assumed. Ugh, how did you know that's what? I recognize the look. I get it a lot. Jeez, no, that sounds arrogant. It's just that I have two older sisters, so I recognize the signs. I listened to Claire giggling beside me and suppressed the urge to tell her to be quiet. So sometimes when I talk to women who are partnered, Alan went on, I find that in me, they see an employed, clean-cut, middle-aged man who can hold a conversation and, well, everyone has a friend who I would just love to meet. It's a great compliment, I laughed. It is, Alan replied earnestly. If things were different, but they aren't, and I would never take the chance of exposing someone to them. The aliens, Alan nodded. I was house-sitting in Dover. Ellen made note of the look on my face. Yep, home of the Dover demon. I freaking love that story, I said, without thinking. Startling me, Claire whispered, You wouldn't if you knew the truth. Ellen eyed me quizzically. That story is pretty fantastic. If I'd had only a brief encounter like theirs, I would probably be intrigued as well. For those of you who haven't heard the tale of the Dover Demon, let me catch you up. In April of 1977, so like almost exactly 43 years ago, a strange creature was spotted lurking around the wooded, windy roads of Dover. It was first sighted by a 17-year-old young man named Bill Bartlett. Bill was driving along Farm Street one night when his headlights fell on the demonic-looking creature perched atop one of the many low stone walls that snake through rural Dover. He described the thing as having tendril-like fingers and glowing eyes. Bill quickly spun his car around in an attempt to catch another look at the monster, but the creature had vanished. Later that same night, 15-year-old John Baxter was walking home from his girlfriend's house when up ahead he saw who he thought was a neighbor walking towards him. Keep in mind that he was in a heavily wooded area, devoid of streetlights. He called out to the figure ahead, but received no response. As he moved closer, he realized his mistake. It was the creature. It scurried away into the woods where John got a good look at it when it stopped and leaned against a tree. He said its feet were seemingly molded around the rock it stood upon. The third and final encounter happened the following night to 15-year-old Abby Brabham. She also spotted the creature standing upright beside a tree. All three of the teens reported their sightings to the police, and all three sketched the creature they saw. Their sketches are eerily similar. Dover is Wellesley's picturesque, heavily wooded, next-door neighbor to the south. You know damn well I spent an afternoon last summer driving around to gawk at the places where the Dover Demon was spotted. The town is positively charming, the perfect example of New England beauty, which makes what happened there all the more chilling. The Dover Demon disappeared that night, never to return. Well, no one can know that for sure, but no one ever reported seeing it again. Well, actually, that might not be true either. An encounter, I said. "'surprised by Alan's description of the creature. "'You think the Dover Demon was an alien?' "'Have you seen the sketches those kids drew of the thing they saw?' "'Uh, yeah, I guess I'd always bought into the idea that it was a weird-looking cryptid, "'but when you put it that way, I guess it sort of does look like an alien.' "'A gray,' Alan confirmed. "'Did you see it?' (laughs) "'No. I may have seen its cousins, though. Who knows?' "'Abruptly, Alan grabbed the sides of the table and shook it. "'You know what? Hang on.' "'He stood and darted towards the counter in long strides. "'He was back in a flash with a handful of napkins. "'I watched as he knelt down and shoved the stack beneath one of the table legs. "'Again, he shook the table. "'Taking his seat, he brushed his hands off on his jeans and said, "'That's better. Sorry. It was driving me crazy.' "'Thanks,' I replied.' I hadn't even realized how much the wobbly table had been agitating me, too. All right, so I was committed to watching a house in Dover for five months, October through March. The couple who owned the home planned to spend the holidays in Aspen and head south after the first of the year. It was a beautiful property. The house is set pretty far back in the woods, down a long driveway. I shook my head knowingly. Ruh-roh. Alan chuckled. Yes, it is the perfect setting for a scary story, but I didn't feel any sense of foreboding when I accepted the job. The homeowners, a couple in their mid-sixties, were nice, normal Yankees, a little reserved. The wife was pretty uptight about making sure I wouldn't throw any big parties, though she said I was welcome to have a woman friend over on occasion. My only job was to watch over the house, collect the mail, and keep up with the light cleaning. How'd you get hooked up with such a good gig? Word of mouth. Over the years, I've built up a nice clientele, and I can afford to be a little choosy. It wasn't like that in the beginning. I've stayed in a couple of dumps, watching over people's plants and dogs, but it's a nice side income. And this job, the one in Dover, was one of the cushiest houses I'd ever looked after. It was an Adirondack-style home, or rather, a rich New Englander's interpretation of Adirondack architecture, Dark brown faux logs and a wraparound porch that extended to a deck in the back. I took up residence in a second floor guest room that overlooked the driveway. My first night at the house was uneventful. It was a massive structure, so it felt strange to inhabit it all alone, but I didn't feel any fear. It was more of a feeling of isolation that resonated those first few days. I got used to the space, though, as I always do, and began to enjoy the solitude. Reading on the back deck was quite enjoyable. Even cooking there was pleasant. The kitchen overlooked that deck and the forest beyond it. I mean, that sounds absolutely dreamy, I commented. Do the owners still live there? They do. Did you tell them about uh, whatever happened to you? Alan's mouth turned down. No, I'm ashamed to say that I just haven't gotten up the nerve, but in my defense, I think what happened was specific to me. I never got the sense that the couple felt uncomfortable in their home. So what happened to you? The second week in the house, I woke up one morning wearing jeans. Jeans? Yes, pants. I sleep in a t-shirt and boxers, so it was quite unusual. It struck me as odd, but I didn't give it too much thought. I figured I must have been dreaming or sleepwalking and put my pants on. Silly, but not frightening, and the simplest explanation is usually the right one. Occam's razor. Alan grinned. See, I don't need to dumb anything down for you. I'm just trying to keep up, I laughed. Go on. There was something else odd about that morning. I noticed it as I waited for the coffee to brew. I was staring out the windows at the deck, still thrown off by the whole waking up in pants thing, when something on the railing caught my attention. I moved towards the window and saw that it was my book, the book that I was reading at the time. Had you left it out there? No, I put it on the bedside table before I turned out the light to go to sleep the night before. Oh, shoot, I said. I realized that I must have gone outside in the middle of the night, and for some reason, I brought the book with me. Either that, or someone had come into the house without waking me, taken my book off the bedside table, and then placed it on the porch railing. I don't know. Either option feels pretty freaky to me. It did to me as well, but the most logical thing was that I'd had a bout of sleepwalking. Had that ever happened to you before? No, not that I'd ever been aware of, but there's a first time for everything. Even so, I was careful to check all the outer doors before I turned in for the night. I even pushed a chair in front of the bedroom door in hopes that it would thwart any further sleepwalking through the house. That was a good idea. It didn't work, Alan sighed. The next morning, the door was open. The chair pushed to the side. The room was cold, and I found upon walking downstairs that the back door... The one out to the deck had been left wide open. I found my cell phone on the short flight of stairs to the yard, on the second step from the top. The battery was dead, so I brought it inside and closed and locked the door behind me. I went upstairs to grab my charger from the bedroom and plugged it in next to the coffee pot. After I'd made relatively certain that no critters, or people for that matter, had found their way inside, I poured some coffee and took a look at my phone. I found several photos that I had no recollection of taking. I sucked a breath in through my teeth. Uh Uh-oh. The pictures had been taken with a flash, so I was able to somewhat make out the woods behind the house. The tree line begins only 15 feet or so from the end of the deck, and there was nothing out of the ordinary in any of the shots, but the whole thing was unsettling. I called my primary care physician later that morning, and "'asked for an appointment. "'Good call,' I commented. Alan nodded. "'It wasn't very helpful, but still, "'I had to be certain that developing a sleepwalking habit out of the blue "'wasn't indicative of any major health problems. "'What did your doctor say?' "'She seemed to think it was brought on by stress.' Alan shifted in his seat, obviously uncomfortable with the idea.' i had undergone some recent changes in my personal life, so I agreed that it might have something to do with it. I was otherwise healthy, so my physician wasn't overly concerned with odd development. She prescribed sleeping pills, but I never did fill the prescription. Soon after, I began to notice marks on my body, bruises and scratches that I couldn't explain. If they'd been on my shins, I could explain them away, but my sternum, my upper back... Surely I would remember banging into something that would leave such a mark. The escalation of events my third week in the house convinced me that something abnormal, inexplicable even, truly was happening to me. I awoke one morning, and when I swung my legs and put my feet down on the floor, I winced as I felt a cut on the underside of my left foot. I looked down and couldn't even move for a moment, shocked at the appearance of my feet. They were dirty, and covered with small cuts as though I'd been running through the woods without shoes. I found a large gash on the pad of my left foot. I limped to the bathroom, intending to soak my feet in the tub to clean them, and when I saw my reflection in the mirror, well, again, I was shocked to stillness. My t-shirt had a streak of mud across it, and there were little scratches on my forehead and cheek. I was terrified. I can't even imagine... I've heard that people can sleepwalk into strange situations, but I'd think cutting your foot that badly would have woken you up, right? That's just what I thought. I knew deep down something wasn't right, that I wasn't just sleepwalking, that there had to be more to it, and I was deeply unnerved by the thought that I'd been out in the woods in the middle of the night, alone. But when I went downstairs that morning, after tending to my scratches and cuts— I found something even more unsettling. This will sound incredibly unlikely, but there were footprints on the deck, bloody, muddy footprints that were mine. I followed them around the entire deck. As you recall, it was connected to a wraparound porch, right? Well, it appeared that I'd walked the perimeter of the house. The footprints were steady. There's no indication that I was hurt, and yet I had to limp around for the next week because of that gash on my foot. It was close to freezing the night before. Perhaps I hadn't felt the cut because I'd lost feeling in my feet due to the temperature, but that wasn't the strangest thing. I don't know if I even want to know, I admitted, realizing I'd been clenching my jaw. The strange thing was, there weren't footprints anywhere inside the house, Alan said simply. I stared at him and tried to make sense of what he'd said wait, how is that possible? Alan shrugged. I suppose I could have wiped them up as I went back up to bed, but the stair runner and the upper hall rug were cream and tan colored. It's not impossible that I might have been able to clean up in my sleep, but I found no evidence of that. No used paper towels, or regular towels for that matter. Somehow I got from that deck back to my bed without leaving a mark anywhere in the house. "'Ellen, that's really fucking spooky.' "'You're absolutely right,' he said, laughing softly. "'I'm sorry to say that it only gets spookier.' "'Then I need something to eat. Can I get you anything?' I asked. "'Uh, sure. Those croissants looked great.' He leaned over, reaching into his back pocket for his wallet. "'No, no, this one's on me,' I said, headed towards the counter.' The truth was, for once, I wasn't hungry at all. I was scared. Really, really scared. And I needed a minute to hear from Claire, who'd been strangely silent throughout Ellen's story. I took my place at the end of a four-person line. You getting any of this? I asked under my breath. Yeah, I'm here, Claire replied after a beat. And I hissed. What? I sighed. I don't do aliens, she said, matter-of-factly. I was afraid of them when I was alive, and knowing what I know now? She trailed off. What can I get you? A young woman behind the counter asked me in a tired voice. Um, two croissants, please, I replied, then listened for Claire to go on. When she didn't, I whispered angrily, go on. With what? What do you know?" Um, here you go. He'll ring you up. The young woman handed me two plates and indicated the register. Thank you, I said, only slightly embarrassed. I was getting used to people catching me talking to myself. Finally, Claire said, They're real, and they're like shadow men. The real shadow men. Not the dead people who move around looking like shadows. But they're worse because they can distort perception, and like, I don't know where they take people, but they do take them, and those people don't come back better off. The person in front of me was paying, and we didn't have much time. You've seen one? Yeah, I saw a lot of stuff when I was in between. They were by far the scariest. What do they want? I asked, quickly before handing my debit card to the cashier. That's the million-dollar question. I grabbed a handful of napkins from a dispenser on the counter and ended our conversation by saying, When we get in the car, you're telling me everything you know about the Dover Demon. Then returned to the table to find Alan scrolling through his phone. I took my seat across from him. Sorry that took such a long time. Long line. No apology necessary. I was able to catch up on some emails. Classes start soon, so things are ramping up. We took a moment to dig into the pastries. Alan wiped his mouth with a napkin. So, where was I? Things were getting spookier, I supplied. Right. Well, I didn't want to call my doctor again. I knew what I would sound like trying to explain what was happening to me, so instead I ordered two cameras from Amazon. I set one up on the dresser in my bedroom and mounted the other one outside over the back door so... I could catch a wide view of the deck and the woods beyond. Please don't tell me you have footage of aliens. (sighs) No, no footage of aliens. The cameras proved glitchy, but I did record several odd occurrences. Sorry, but didn't you think about just quitting and leaving the house? Certainly, but I'd agreed to watch the house, and I couldn't go back on my word. Not if I ever wanted another house-sitting job of that quality. House-sitting's a small world. All it takes is a house owner writing one bad review on any given job site, and my name would pop up if any prospective employer checked me out online. I rely on that extra income. So you were stuck. I was stuck, he agreed. I hoped the camera would provide a reasonable explanation for everything I know I was in denial, but I didn't feel comfortable telling anyone about what was really happening at the house. Abruptly, Alan let out a noise of frustration and put his hands to his face, removing his glasses and rubbing his eyes. After putting the lenses back on, he said, I apologize. I feel as though I'm rambling. In all honesty, I'm just dragging my feet. This is difficult to talk about. Let me just get it out. I pushed the half-eaten croissant aside and crossed my arms, bracing myself for what he was about to say. Go ahead. The first night I had the camera set up, I captured a video of myself getting out of bed at around 1 o'clock. The exterior camera showed me sitting on the deck right in front of the stairs for 27 minutes. I just sat there staring out at the woods with my legs crossed. It was unnerving. The temperature was about 40 degrees that night, and I didn't appear to be affected by the chill at all. Eventually, I stood, stretched briefly, then returned to bed. There was a glitch, then, on the bedroom camera. It didn't actually record me coming back into the room. The bed was empty one moment, and then I was there, sound asleep the next. I made a noise indicating how creepy that sounded. "'Hope kept me thinking it was just a glitch,' Alan conceded. "'The house felt different. "'Certainly all that had been happening would be enough to change the atmosphere, "'but I began to feel truly unsafe. "'I should have called it quits then. "'If I were thinking logically, I would have called my doctor to demand a CAT scan "'or whatever else might rule out, or in, a psychological reason for what was happening to me. "'But I believe I was under some sort of influence.' that I wasn't completely in control of my decisions or actions. I began to have the first of what I believe now to be flashes of recovered memories. The most vivid and disturbing of which came to me one morning as I spoke with a group of students after a lecture. As I stood with four students, clarifying the expectations for an upcoming assignment, a memory of being in that same formation, me standing in a group just like that one, came to me. Only in the memory, I stood among large owls. They were huge, approximately two-thirds of my height. The vision took me by surprise. It was most certainly a memory. It didn't have any of the haziness of a dream. The details were too crisp. Have you ever seen an image of a harpy eagle? Um, I don't think so. Alan nodded. You would most certainly remember if you had. Their appearance is arresting, to say the least. Harpy eagles are very large birds with interesting head plumage. That's what the owls in my memory resembled, only different, more humanoid. And I don't know how I knew, but I knew that they'd been communicating with me. Jesus, Alan, that's fucking terrifying. Where were you in this memory? The woods. And you still went back to sleep in that house? "'Yes, I told you, I was not in my right mind. "'I don't believe I was in complete control of my actions. "'I believe they were distorting my perception, "'my reactions, controlling me.' "'Alan blew out a breath "'and rubbed his hands on the top of his legs. "'The day I left the house, I woke up with this. "'He held out his left arm. "'On his inner wrist was a formation of three red dots, "'scars in the shape of a triangle.' The shape was repeated about halfway up his forearm. You woke up with that on your arm? I checked the cameras. Because of the glitch, I was not recorded either leaving or returning to my bedroom. But my image was captured outside. The recording shows me on the deck, about halfway to the stairs. I stood staring out at the trees for about 17 minutes. Then I began to move a little. Shaking my head occasionally and motioning with my hands as if I were having a conversation with someone. But whoever that was remained out of the camera's view. The conversation continued on for just a few moments, and then I made a motion with my hands, holding them out in front of me and pushing them out to the side as if I were done with the conversation, you know, as if I were saying, enough. I turned around, obviously intending to return to the house, but then I froze. In place. It appeared that I was unable to move forward. Then I struggled to raise my arms as if I were fighting against something or someone. My face was filled with anger at first, but then, well, I looked terrified, dreadful. I began to walk backwards, very slowly, and that's when I started to cry. I looked like I was still struggling, though not with any luck. I backed down the short set of stairs to the yard and then continued on towards the woods. Eventually, I disappeared into the trees. I was gone for over three hours. Just before I reappeared, a large owl landed on the porch railing. It stared directly at the camera for 11 seconds, then flew off. A moment later, I reappeared, walking out of the woods and into the house as if nothing happened. Alan sat back in his seat. We sat there, staring at each other for a long moment. Finally, I broke the silence. I don't know what to say. Have you ever shown anyone the video? I asked, hoping he wouldn't offer to show it to me because I wanted nothing to do with it. No, and I never will. They've taken enough from me already. I refuse to let them steal my credibility as well. You don't think people would believe you? I know they wouldn't. Well, did you still stay at that house? Only in the daytime. I slept at home, but went early each morning and checked in between my classes. I never again stayed there past 4 p.m. Has anything happened to you since? Ellen nodded, but said nothing. Well, I'm just so sorry. Thank you. It feels good to tell someone on the outside, someone who isn't a part of our support group. I swear some of those people are real kooks. He smiled. I can only imagine. And when Frankie told me about you, I just felt obligated to present another side of things. Her story is odd, but there are so many facets of this whole alien situation. They're dangerous and they are powerful. People like Frankie think they know the aliens' intentions, but I don't even think we're capable of coming close to knowing what they're up to. Then again, that's just my opinion. And there are some people who think they aren't aliens at all. What do they think they are? Demons. A huge thank you to anyone who's left a review for Ghosts in the Burbs. I love reading them and it really helps to find other people, find the podcast. A big thank you as well to all of the supporters on Patreon, including Tante, Amy Doggett, Greg Sidyer, Samantha Shreessen, Holly Maupin, Melissa Hain, Kristen Jeffords, Sam Gee, Erica Matlock, Annie. And Nana Kofed. Thank you so very much for your incredible generosity. Well, this has been Ghosts in the Burbs. Good night, sleep tight, and don't forget your nightlight.